Well, before we get started, I just want to say thank you again, church, uh, for all the appreciation this month. Uh, you, this church definitely knows how to appreciate and show their appreciation, so I'm very thankful. Uh, and as I've, I said last week, I'm humbled to be your pastor, and I'm thankful to be your pastor. And so thank you again, uh, Brother Kemp, for, for leading that up. Uh, and I, I certainly, my family and I feel very appreciated this month, so thank you for that. Well, open your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 19. Uh, if you haven't been here in a while, or if, it, if, you, if this is your first Sunday with us, we've been kind of walking through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and this morning, as we travel through the Gospel of Luke, we come to a very well-known story uh, to every kid who has spent any time in Sunday school or VBS, right? The story of Zacchaeus. Uh, we learn a fun little song about Zacchaeus, don't we, right? Like, raise your hand if you know the song about Zacchaeus. I want to see it. All right, I'm going to put you to the test. You ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. He climbed up in a, for the Lord he wanted to. As the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, for, for I'm going to your house today. Right? Fun. Like, we all learned that song about Zacchaeus, uh, except for some of you are like, man, this is a cult. I didn't, I didn't know that we had to learn songs. No. But I'm always amazed at the lighthearted way we approach this story. Like, the story of Zacchaeus uh, the song leaves out like so much of what makes this story so impactful. And I was talking to Brittany, and I was like, who, who writes these songs? Like, and so kind of if you'll allow me to use my uh, imagination a little bit, I, I imagine the conversation went like this. Let's write a children's song uh, based on a story in the Bible. Great. Who's the characters? Well, you got Zacchaeus. Okay, who's he? He's a traitor to his people, the Jews. He's a horrible Excuse for a person who has cheated, swindled, and lied his way to the top of a Roman tax system in Jericho and probably most universally hated. Oh, yeah, the Bible says he was also a small stature. Got it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. All right, well, what happened to Zacchaeus? Well, he encountered Jesus, and his life is radically changed for the kingdom of God. Got it. What if we just sing song, Jesus is lying, and we call it a day, right? That's how the song goes. Like, this, it's a silly little song that misses out all the important things in the story. And so I uh, wrote a song for us this morning, right? Everybody's like, oh, Lord. But I, I want our kids to fully understand the story. And so this is what I propose we start teaching our kids, okay? Zacchaeus was a rotten little scoundrel of a man with a dismal black soul and blood on his hands who cheated and lied and stole his way to the top to be Jericho's tax boss until he providentially and wonderfully encountered a man named Jesus on his way to the cross and was radically and fundamentally changed forever. Oh, yeah, don't forget, he was a short little fellow. That's what I think. It would, it would, it would do it. We could do it, right? That, that will be the new kid's song. I can see it catching on. Like, don't steal that. I haven't presented that to publishers or anything yet, but I'm going to go back and write all of our kid's songs as more biblically correct. I mean, I guess we little man sounds a little better, but... It misses the point. Uh, Zacchaeus, his encounter with Jesus is radical. Like it transforms a man from one thing to another. Like the, the least important part of the story is that he was short. But, but more than that, I want us to understand the context. As we've been walking through Luke, this is part of a larger emphasis on faith. And this is the last one-on-one -on -one interaction that Jesus has before he goes to the cross. Like, the triumphal entry, to all that. This is his last one-on-one -on -one interaction. This is a big deal. 
Like this follows the encounter. Do you remember the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and Jesus shocks his disciples with these words? He says, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It is like it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Then it follows a story. There's this blind man who asked Jesus for mercy after recognizing that he is the Messiah, the son of David. And and Jesus tells him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. This man was stuck in poverty and despair and illustrated the simple exercising of faith in Jesus. And now on the heels of that, you come to the story of Zacchaeus. A very real example of the rich man that Jesus said had no chance of entering the kingdom of God in his own power. It it is impossible. And a direct opposite example of the blind beggar who was stuck in poverty and despair, but Zacchaeus is rather stuck in wealth and self-dependency, but he is shown exercising faith that results in a radical change of life. And so the context of this story makes it so rich. He is the rich person that Jesus said couldn't enter the kingdom of God without God's divine intervention. He is the opposite of the beggar, and yet he exercises faith just as well. This is a beautiful story, and I want to take a fresh look at it this morning. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times before. You knew the song, you've heard the story, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of the name Zacchaeus. My prayer is that God would help us see what he wants us to see, hear what he wants us to hear, and respond in the way he wants to respond. Amen? Let's get into the story this morning. So we're going to look at this story under the heading, the larger heading of salvation has come, and that comes from what Jesus says in the end. But we're going to look at it under three divisions, the divine appointment, the divine transformation, and the divine declaration. And so if you take notes, those are our three divisions this morning. We're going to begin with the divine appointment. And we see this in the very beginning. And So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter Uh, 19, verse 1. The first six verses, we find this divine appointment. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on up ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So let's stop there for a minute. This divine appointment is the result of two different initiatives. You have this internal initiative. An external initiative. Let's look at the first one, the internal initiative. The Bible tells us Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. He wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Now, we are left to kind of our divine imaginations as to what motivated Zacchaeus to seek to see Jesus. But I think just knowing the story of the Bible, there are a few plausible reasons. Maybe he had heard Jesus took tax collectors as disciples. I mean, think about Levi, who we call, we call Matthew. Like, this was unheard of for a rabbi in this time to take on a tax collector as a disciple. So maybe he heard rumors in and around Jerusalem that this Jesus, this rabbi, this radical Jewish rabbi took tax collectors as disciples, and he just wanted to kind of get a look at what that kind of rabbi looked like. 
Maybe the tales of Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners had reached him, and he wanted to see what this person who was so different than others looked like. Maybe he was tired of trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the collection of of money and the accumulation of power. Maybe he was just tired of trying to fill his life up with stuff, and he heard Jesus offered this new life, and he just wanted to catch a glimpse of what he looked like. But here's what we know. When he could not force his way in or bribe his way through to see Jesus, he abandoned all sense of self-pride and did two things that no respectable Middle Eastern man would have done in his day. He ran and climbed a tree. Now, we might, you might not understand this culturally, but men did not run. That was for kids. Men walked. They were respected. They never, and they would never climb a tree. That is something that children do. And so Zacchaeus, his desire was so strong to see this man named Jesus, he would risk ridicule and shame just to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Now, here's what some people do with that. And here's the risk. We say, some people say, okay, right here, this is why we should be more seeker sensitive as a church. And for many years, this was the model of church, especially for Baptist churches who became known as non-denominational churches. The idea was and is that there are people seeking God, but traditional church puts them off, so we need to make sure our church services cater to this mysterious group of seekers that like more contemporary music, more TED Talk and less sermon, more inspiration and less condemnation, dimmer lights, lower expectations. But is that, what, is that what's happening here? Because the Bible says there is none who seek God, right? There's none who desire him. So what is Zacchaeus actually seeking? Here's what I think. Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus and stay the way he is, right? This guy, he heard he accepts tax collectors. He, he sits and he dines with sinners, and Zacchaeus wants to see what this would look like because Zacchaeus is a religious outcast. Maybe Jesus is the one that's going to let him back into the religious system without having to change anything. Zacchaeus, I don't think, was seeking God as much as Zacchaeus was seeking a way to be accepted without changing anything about his life. The real divine miracle is not this interior initiative. Right. I believe that God drew, drew him through curiosity to see Jesus, but he wasn't looking for a savior. Right. Don't don't miss the point. He was just looking to catch a glimpse of this man named Jesus. But the real miracle was not that he was looking for Jesus, but that Jesus was looking for him. The Bible says that there's this exterior initiative. Jesus was on a mission to find Zacchaeus. It kind of paints his story that as far as anybody knows, Jesus is just passing through Jericho. Right. That's what Luke says. Jesus was passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Like he's just passing through. But Jesus makes his way to where Zacchaeus is perched in the sycamore tree and stops to specifically and individually engage with Zacchaeus. He comes to the place, he looks up, and he calls Zacchaeus by name. Like this is no accident, right? Jesus wasn't just strolling through and go, oh, look, there's somebody in the tree. Zacchaeus. He knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. And he goes straight to that spot. He stops, and he looks up, and he says, I must stay at your house today. And the word must here means it is a necessity. Jesus wasn't asking as he was saying, like, this is going to happen right now. 
I need to stay at your house. Now, at this point in the story, everyone must have been thoroughly confused, right? Like, here's Jesus making his way through, and if Jesus is the Jesus that I understand from Scripture, he's interacting with the crowd, he's talking, he's teaching, he's, he's teaching his disciples, and then he stops, and he looks up in this tree at this Jewish man who is willing to be ridiculed and shamed, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I have to stay at your house today. Imagine Zacchaeus, like, how'd you know I was here? How do you know my name? Why do you need to go to my house, and why is it so urgent? Like, what is happening? He doesn't know, but he quickly and joyfully responds to this command of Jesus and receives him. We are told in a minute that the crowd doesn't understand uh, even so much. They actively grumble that Jesus would be the guest of such a great sinner. Like, no one understands what's happening. So what gives? Like, we who get the benefit of hindsight know that Jesus is doing exactly what he is about to declare at Zacchaeus' house. He has come to seek and save the lost. And Zacchaeus, of all people, definitely fits that description. He is hopelessly lost. He is a sinner in need of a Savior, and so Jesus has sought him out. So what is to come from this divine appointment, this, this interior curiosity that he had to see Jesus and Jesus seeking him out? What now? So the second thing we're going to see is a divine transformation. This divine appointment where Jesus and Zacchaeus come together it produces this divine transformation. Look at me, if you will, with, at verse 7 and 8. And when they saw it, the crowd, that is Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Let's stop there for a minute. Like, this whole episode causes quite the controversy in this town of Jericho, right? Like, Jesus is coming through, everybody's excited, and now he's in the house of a tax collector. Like, he, he, this is the last place that anybody thought he would have gone. And in these two short verses, verses 7 and verses 8, there exists quite the contrast. There is what the town knows about Zacchaeus, and then there's this radically different new Zacchaeus. It's a big contrast. The crowd says, how could he go be the guest of this sinner? And stop there for a minute. This is not just a general word for sinner. The idea is preeminently sinful, especially wicked. Like, how would he go to this man's house? Like, this man is especially wicked. To be a tax collector, you had to turn on your people. The Romans would conquer a place and they would send like a, one Roman officer to be over a large area and that officer would recruit local people from the culture to collect the taxes. So to collect Roman taxes was to go against your people. But worse, for Zacchaeus, he had somehow kind of managed his way to be like over multiple other tax collectors. So like this guy is skimming off the top. His living is made... When someone cheats someone, he cheats them some more, and then he passes it on to the Romans. And so Zacchaeus, they say, this is an especially wicked man. How could Jesus go to this man's house? But we who are familiar with Jesus and the way he operated, this is not surprising to us. Like, he does this every place he goes. But to the people, 
in this day, in this time, in this place, to sit and dine with someone, to be their guest, was in many ways to imply that not only you accept them, but you condone their lifestyle. And so the crowd did not understand why Jesus would do this. And listen, it's a legitimate concern. By going to Zacchaeus' house, is Jesus saying it's okay to live this way? It's okay to cheat people. Was Jesus condoning Zacchaeus and his lifestyle as a chief tax collector? Spurgeon points out that quite the opposite was happening. Spurgeon said Jesus Christ did not teach Zacchaeus by going to his house that character was of no consequence. On the contrary, Zacchaeus perceived at once that character was of the greatest consequence. And so he stood forth and said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusations, I restore him fourfold. Zacchaeus understand that Jesus coming to his house was not uh, condoning his behavior. It was confronting it. And we're not told, but either who Jesus was or what he said at dinner, or most likely a combination of both, caused Zacchaeus to see, maybe for the first time, that what the crowd said about him was right. He was a especially wicked sinner. And so there's this conviction that happens within Zacchaeus. He needs something to change. And something does. Where there was greed, now generosity rushes forth. Where there was selfishness, now selflessness rushed forth to meet the poor. Where there was once a dead heart that beat only for himself, now his heart beat for those who had been wronged, who were less fortunate, and those needed help. This was not the old Zacchaeus defending his life. This was the new Zacchaeus saying, this is who I am now. You have the crowd who thinks they know who Zacchaeus is, and then you have this confession of Zacchaeus that he is completely changed. It is Zacchaeus responding to the new life he has found in Christ. In just two sentences, we learn just how completely he has been changed. He says this, Behold, Lord. The word Lord there is a confession. A confession of Jesus Christ authority and personhood before Zacchaeus met Jesus his Lord the Bible says was his belly that is a way that what he could obtain what he could hoard what he could consume and now he is confessing he has a new Lord and a new master in Jesus this is essential to salvation this is what it means to be born again listen it's not just coming to Jesus to get a, get out a hell free card it's not adding Jesus to your life so that you gain something. It's understanding and submitting to his lordship over every part of your life. To come to Jesus is to come to a new Lord, a new master. It is displacing yourself off the throne of your life and sitting and allowing Jesus to take what is rightfully his. But far from just saying it, far from an empty platitude, Zacchaeus offers two pieces of evidence that his life has been completely and radically changed. He offers radical generosity and repentant restoration. First is radical generosity. He says, I give half of what I have, half of my goods to the poor. Listen, this is way more than any imposed standard. Like the standard to give the poor was like 20%, okay? 
if you counted everything, the, the, the fields that you were allowed to glean, the money you gave to, to support widows, like the, all of that, the most it was was about 20%. And, and, and goods here represent not just money, but, but all of the wealth and possessions and property that he had. This was enough, listen, to seriously affect the lives of the poor in Jericho. He was rich, the Bible says. Where he had once made his living, squeezing every last penny out of the poor, now his desire is that they would have relief from their burden of poverty from his own coffers, his own pockets. Once they were a way to make money, now he wants to use his money to make their life better. See the change? Like, this is no small proclamation. This isn't, thanks for saving me, Lord. I'll keep everything I earned in my sinful lifestyle, but I'll make sure I start tithing. Right? This is not some empty platitude. This is going, Lord, everything I have is yours. And so here, this whole half that I've collected, I want to take care of the poor because I know you, your heart beats for the poor the marginalized, the downtrodden, the widows, the orphans. So my heart beats for them. So take half of what is already yours, and I'm going to give it to the poor. But Zacchaeus doesn't stop there. He knows he has defrauded people, and it isn't enough to feel sorry for it. He repents of it, and he wants to do what is within his power to make it right. He's going to take the other half and use it to right his wrongs. He takes half of it and gives it away to the poor, and the other half he's going to spend his life trying to restore what he had done. This is above and beyond. Listen, repentant restoration is above and beyond what any externally imposed law would be. Like we talked about this on Wednesday night in our Bible study, uh, Hebrew law. If, if you stole something from someone, the law commanded that you paid that back and another one. So that not only did they not lose anything, you lost what you intended to steal. That makes sense? Double. That was the law. But Zacchaeus doesn't say that he's going to do the law. He says, I'm going to do fourfold if I defrauded anyone. And listen, he defrauded someone. He knows that. He spent his life defrauding people. And so this was not just empty talk. Zacchaeus is going to restore fourfold what he had taken. This is the fruit of his conversion. He doesn't do this to earn salvation or to impress Jesus, but as a response to the new heart beating within his chest, this is what divine transformation does. You cannot encounter Jesus and remain the same. Like You cannot meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior and stay the same. Now, was Zacchaeus all of a sudden perfect? Of course not. But he was different. He was changed. And that was evidenced by the thing that he once held so dearly, now being freely and generously given away. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he had kept all the law. He was exactly the opposite of Zacchaeus. He had kept all the law, and Jesus said, there's one thing that's holding on to you. It's your wealth. You need to give it away so you can follow me, and he couldn't do it. Now Zacchaeus is so freely giving away what he has because he has realized what he has found in Jesus was better than all of his riches, and he gladly responded in a way that evidenced that conversion. And this leads us to our last division this morning, a divine declaration. So you have this appointment between Zacchaeus and Jesus, and when they meet in their, in their appointment, you have this divine transformation where Zacchaeus, who he was, is not who he is anymore, and he has evidence of that. And so Jesus makes this declaration in, in verse 9. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. I'll just take just a minute and work, work us through that. This very day, deliverance from sin, death, and hell has appeared in this house as far as and because of this man is a son of Abraham. Now, this is important for a number of reasons. Number one, because of his life, because of his vocation, because he had chosen to, to go against the Jews, the other Jews would not have considered him a son of Abraham. They would have considered him a traitor, someone outside, not a real Jew, okay? This is the way he would have been treated. So that's the first important thing for Jesus saying he is a son of Abraham. The second is Jesus taught and preached that mere genealogy did not make you a son of Abraham in any sense that really mattered. That you were a son of Abraham because of your actions or your faith. And so what Jesus is declaring here is Zacchaeus is a true son of Abraham, not just because of his genealogy, but because of his faith. He is a son of Abraham. And this is important. Paul picks up on this in his letter to the Roman church. And this is what he says. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before. Romans 4.16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And again, in his letter to the Galatian church, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So what Jesus is saying here is Zacchaeus exercising faith in Jesus made him a son of Abraham. That is, his faith mirrored that of Abraham and therefore brought him under the covenant that God had made of Abraham. And he was a son, truly, of Abraham. All that to say, listen, I know that, that, that takes us away for a second, but all that to say. Jesus divinely declared that Zacchaeus, the horrible, sinful tax collector, had experienced salvation through him because of his faith, and the evidence was there for everyone to see. This man has truly been saved. He is a son of Abraham. This was the declaration. Jesus was saying what no man could say, but God in the flesh, that his heart had been changed, he had been saved. And this brings us to our very last verse this morning, Luke chapter 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus here definitively declares why he came. His mission, his purpose was to seek and save the lost. And here in the story of Zacchaeus, we see a microcosm of his fulfillment of his mission Zacchaeus was hopefully lost in his sin with no way out. Listen, and Jesus says, with no chance of ever seeing the kingdom of God, but Jesus sought him, found him, and changed him. 
And that is why Jesus came. The very next thing Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke is he rides into Jerusalem in what we refer to as his triumphal entry, which we know would lead to the week of his Passion Week, to his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, ultimately fulfilling his purpose and providing a way for all those he seeks the means to be saved by faith. We see in this story of Zacchaeus, Jesus did not come for good people. Jesus did not come for people who have it all together, people who are okay, people who just need a little encouragement or help. Jesus came to save sinners, hopelessly lost, persistently sinful, men and women who do not deserve to be saved. This is who Jesus came to save. This is the good news of the story. Zacchaeus was not too far gone to be saved. Despite what the crowd thought, despite what maybe even Zacchaeus thought himself, his sinful past didn't prevent him. His actions didn't preclude him. When Jesus called, he answered, and because of that, he experienced salvation. That's the story of Zacchaeus. That's the song that needs to be sung. Listen, I don't, I don't know why you came today. We do have some guests, and maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you're just curious as to what we do here on Sunday morning, or maybe a a family asked you to come, but this is what I believe. God has drawn you here. He is already at work in your life, drawing him to yourself. And here's what else I know about Jesus. He came to seek and save the worst sinners. So you are not too bad. Your past isn't too bad. Your attempts and failures at being good aren't too bad. But listen, you are hopeless without Jesus. It's impossible for you to experience the kingdom of God in your own power. But the hope of Zacchaeus is Jesus' call to the sinner is the same he made to Zacchaeus. Come down and receive me. Listen to what I say about who I am and what you need to do in response. And here's where I'm going to step on a a few toes. Here's where I'm going to hurt maybe a feeling or two. But listen, those of you who have made a profession of faith or said a prayer or walked an aisle or baptized, let me ask you this question. Were you changed? Is there evidence of a divine transformation in your life after encountering Christ? And here's why that question is so important. Ask yourself, how would the story have gone differently if Zacchaeus met with Jesus and remained unchanged? If he continued to cheat people through taxes, if he continued amassing wealth while ignoring the plight of the poor and the marginalized, if his life went on with the exception that one time he had Jesus in his house. What a pitiful picture that would have made. And yet for many of us, that is our story. Jesus has been close to us. We've entertained him, but we have not been changed by him. And I beg you this morning to ask yourself this question. If Jesus were to spend a day with me, would he, after observing my lifestyle, loudly proclaim, surely salvation has come to this man, woman, or child? And if the answer is no, what are you going to do about it? 